Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Americans may know Aziz Ansari, Hari Kandabolu, or Russell Peters, but Veer Das is the biggest Indian-born comedian and Bollywood actor back home, where he hosted up to four shows at once on Indian television. Das first came to America for college, and he's back now on an American tour promoting his first Netflix special called Tent, which he filmed in both New Delhi and New York City. His 2017 tour also will take him to 20 countries on six continents, including Canada, Australia, Switzerland, the UK, Scotland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, South Africa, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Big Breath, India, Sri Lanka, Belgium, Nigeria, and France. Das also curates Weird Ass Pajama, India's largest comedy festival. So let's get to it! Well, Veer, uh, I, I want to ask you as many p- questions as possible before the, before the jet lag hits. Okay. Because you've come here straight from the airport. Yes, I have. Yes. Uh, how long have you been on tour right now? It's been uh, three weeks. So I got in. We did uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. Sacramento, Atlanta, now New York. Next week is Denver, then Seattle, then home. So, yeah. And where is home for you these days? Bombay. Bombay, okay. Yeah. But this is going to be a tour that's that's going to last a while, right? It's going to be uh, six continents, 26 countries, now going on like 29, 30, 31 countries. What's the longest tour you've been on before this? I've never done one this long. You know, uh, typically, you know, th- this whole kind of life change that's happened was, was a decision that I took like a year and a half ago. But so far, I've been doing a fair amount of Bollywood work. So that usually took up like 90% of my year. Right. And then I do stand-up comedy shows on the weekend. You know, so I do like a Sunday show, public show, or like a Friday corporate and a a Sunday public is what I try and average for the last three years. But now this is the first time I've just kind of held off time and and just gone out on tour, you know, excessively. So, yeah. Uh, now, I know you've been to America before. You yes, take, I have. You went, to, you went to college here. I went to Galesburg, Illinois, the mecca <laughs> of civilization <laughs> as we know it today. Uh, well, well, that's not completely unusual. I, I, I'm friendly with uh, Kumail Nanjiani, who yeah. went from Pakistan to yeah. Iowa. Yeah. So there must be something going on. It's this sending <laughs> sending people from from India and Pakistan to the middle of America. It's financial aid. It's okay. just that there's this tiny little college called Knox College. It's fourteen hundred kids, but it's mm-hmm. known to give international people like ninety percent scholarships. Oh, okay. So that's why like everybody in India knows what that college is, um, and so I ended up going there. Okay. Now uh, I don't know how old you are. I'm thirty-seven years old. Okay. Yes. I, I only ask because I I was thinking before before coming here this afternoon, I was thinking back to, I interviewed Albert Brooks once, mm-hmm. and it was in 2006 when he came out with the movie Looking for Comedy in, in, the, Mus- the, Arab in, the, Mus- yeah. in the Muslim World, yes. is what the yeah. title was here. That was the beginning of 2006, and it the whole plot of that was sending him as, as a State Department mission over to India to find out mm-hmm. what, yeah. what Indians laugh at. Yeah. Where were you at in your life personally and professionally in 2006? 2006, I had just dropped out of uh, a master's program. 
So, yeah. what was what were you studying? <laughs> uh, theater. So, okay. um, my whole plan was be a college professor, teach drama, corrupt young minds. Um, that was you know office full of books. That whole mm-hmm. thing. So after grad school, uh, after undergrad, I ended up start trying stand up comedy and just kind of getting into it. And I went back to India for a vacation. I got into the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. So at the University of Alabama. So this okay. was my big plan. I was going to teach Shakespeare for the rest of my I life. Use that theater degree. And- <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was Montgomery, Alabama. But yeah, I've been, been to Montgomery. There you go. So I was one of three brown people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two were doctors in case I got shot, and <laughs> <laughs> and I dropped out because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do Alabama. I I kind of gone back to India and tasted the stage. Mm-hmm. Like I'd done my first public show. I'd done my first TV appearance. Um, some calls were starting to come in, and I was like, you know, grad school will always be there. Uh, let me give this shit a try. But it, so in 2006, what were you doing with? Were you, had you done comedy? I yeah, I'd, I'd been doing um, fairly shitty comedy <laughs> for, for about a year and a half or two. I was on in tele- America or in, in India? India? In India, but I was okay. on television. So uh, when I dropped out of <laughs> Alabama, I uh, a guy came up to me at one of my gigs, and he's like, "I own the Times of India." Uh, context the Times of India is the largest circulated newspaper in the world till date um, it's huge just by virtue of do people office. still read the newspaper the printed page in India yeah, it's dying like everywhere else, okay right um, but uh, you know we this guy came up to me after a show and said I own the Times of India and he was like their young sort of cousin in, in the big joint family sure. and we're starting a TV channel do you want to be a VJ <laughs> and I was like great what's a VJ <laughs> and so I was on a channel called Zoom mm-hmm. doing this really shitty show where I was like, this next song is by this guy. You're going to love it. And, you know, Maybe throw that. a joke in or something throw funny about in. the guy. Yeah, but it was mostly Hindi. It was not my vibe. So I was doing that 2006. Are you Muslim or Hindi? No, I'm Hindu. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said when it's not your vibe, it was Hindi. No, but I've, I've always been an English performer. I write okay. in English. Oh. I think in English. Okay. I, you know, I grew up in Africa. I didn't really grow up in India per se. I did 17 years in Nigeria. So that's right. been my upbringing, you know. So how long did... So where do you feel most at home? Um, then? Now Bombay. I've been in Bombay for about 10 years. I'm, okay. I'm part of the film industry. You know, I'm, I'm married. I have mm-hmm. a dog. I have a nice house. I'm, I'm settled there, you know. Did it take a while, though, after having spent formative years in Africa and then going to college in the well, United I've been, States? I've been kind of a mutt, really. Like right. I, I went to boarding school when I was seven and a half years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but boarding school was in India, and I was in this really preppy kind of, you know, um, show, suit and tie boarding school. Yeah, uh, I, I did one of those. Yeah, right. But in Connecticut. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. So, uh, and and I was just sent there because we didn't have good English medium schools in Nigeria at that point in time. So the parents were there. I I do school in boarding school for about eight months a year, four months a year in Africa. But then after that, I got. Politely asked to leave boarding school when I was in, in class 8 or class 9. And then I ended up being with my grandparents in Delhi. So I did my, my high school there. Parents were still in Africa. Then college in, in America. And then finally back in India. So politely asked, that's different from being kicked out. That's Yeah. More so like, what, what happens <laughs> more is... More like a misdemeanor compared to a felony? No, you get three headmasters <laughs> cards, you're kicked out. By the mm-hmm. time I was in class 9, I had two. Uh, one was my fault, one was not. Uh, and they were like, he's heading for his third. So you might as well just make this happen now. See the writing on the wall. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay. Is that where the impulse to, to do comedy initially came from? That kind of rebellious? I, um, 
Two things. There's a comedian called Johnny Lever. Mm-hmm. He's India's biggest Hindi comic, and he's kind of been the funny guy in about 200 Bollywood movies as well. I was 12 years old, um, up north in a, in a garden in Lucknow, just like in an outdoor space. I saw this man perform for 9,000 people, and I'd never seen that kind of silence in a show before before a laugh and that's what fascinated me where you know that that two seconds before the punchline arrives where if he cried they'd cry if he laughed they'd laugh and to me that was fascinating so that kind of got me into performance and then um i found like carlin and bill cosby mm-hmm. when i was like 17 or 18 but i was in this really stanislavskian kind of drama program right. at knox college right it was this really can sit in a circle and cry all day, you know, <laughs> and emote with your shoulders, you know, that kind of stuff. And Shakespeare, Chekhov, Simon Miller, etc. And you have a thesis performance senior year. So I did a stand-up comedy show. So I, I ended up writing 90 minutes of material. It was a show called Brown Men Can't Hump. And uh, did that for like 700 people. Right. So that was the first time I did stand-up. Well, at least you you, you picked a good title. For yes, the, I did. Yes, I did. Yes. For the kids of Gales. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for all 1,100 of us, it was a fantastic experience. You're like, oh, I want to see that show. Yeah. Was it fantastic for you, though, that it first show? It was the biggest disservice I could have done myself. <laughs> because, you know, you it's inside jokes, and it's a lot of cussing, and it's mm-hmm. mostly your friends. And, you know, usually you'll go up and do five for 60 people. That way. I did 90 for 700 and you kind of come out saying, hey, I'm the shit. You know, I'm good at this. And cut to, uh, I was in Chicago for about a year after that, trying to get an internship at the Steppenwolf. Okay. And I was washing dishes at the Grand Lux Cafe on Michigan Avenue. And I was doing the open mic circuit. Then you're getting booed off stage in, or, you know, just no response for two minutes. And then you discover, oh, shit, I actually have to work at this stuff. Um, so it was a big disservice, I feel. Who who were the comedians you were running around open mics with at the time? You know, I don't remember. I've I, I got to be honest with you. It's, it's just, you know, I wasn't even in the, <laughs> like, I was in the the step cousin of the open mic circuit. You know, okay. it wasn't even like a regular open mic. There was like a, a bar that was called Jim's or something like mm-hmm. that somewhere downtown Chicago that would do every second Tuesday they do like a comedy open mic. You know what I mean? So it wasn't even like a regular established open mic thing. So, right. Yeah. So it wasn't like you felt like you were part of the same was, crowd that was competing pa- for spots at Zany's? No, or... I, I wasn't part of a scene at all. I wasn't ingrained in any sort of scene. You weren't hanging out with uh, TJ Miller and Hannibal Burris? And... No, I wish I was. I would have learned some shit. <laughs> but no, I wasn't. You're kind of on the outside. Yeah. And have always been, even even in India, kind of, you know. So what do you do when you're washing dishes and struggling at open mics? Well, I, I think my first real gig was um, a Carnival Cruise Liner. That's the first time I really got booked. So I, I took the... How did you get that? I, I took the cassette of Brown Man Can't Hump and, and, and sent it to this guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, How did you find the guy? So he was this Indian promoter, right? Okay. He has a company called Music Masala. Uh-huh. And they book out a six-star Carnival Cruise Liner from Houston to Mexico. And they fill it with Indians. Oh, and they okay. fill it with Indian entertainment. And it's the the weirdest thing because they'll show up on a beach in Cozumel mm-hmm. where everybody's half naked and tanning <laughs> in like ethnic Indian outfits <laughs> and do like Garba and classical Indian dancing on that beach. And the Mexicans look scared as fuck when, <laughs> when that happens. Um, so it was unpaid. 
but it was uh, it was. <laughs> that's how you know you're new to comedy. That's how you, you know you take an new. unpaid gig. But you met pretty girls and you got free drinks and, mm-hmm. and everything was taken care of. So I did that for about two cruises, and that was the first time I was really up in front of an audience. You know, what did what did that teach you? I mean, you were you were performing to a pretty much strictly Indian audience. Yes, absolutely. So that's got to be a completely different. I, from being on the campus where I think the, where you're the minority. I, I don't know what it taught me. Uh, drink water with your drink. <laughs> Possibly <laughs> is the only thing that, that I got out of that. If anything, I'd say, um, you know, I, I haven't been able to really target one group of people with stand-up comedy until I got to India. So when you're on a cruise ship, your audience ranges from like 75 down to 16, 17, 18. That's who's at your show. Ages, so, not the ages, number of yeah. people. So then you've got to cater to that whole group of people, that whole spectrum. And that's an interesting experience. You know what I mean? Because right. the grandmom will come with the younger cousins because the full Indian family is on that damn ship. Uh, I also learned that if you bomb on night one, <laughs> you have to hang around with these people for three days. <laughs> right and on the ship. And that sucks, yeah, because <laughs> nobody's going anywhere. So then it gets awkward. So make sure that night one is good. Okay. Yeah. So when did you head back to India then to to start performing? Straight after Alabama. Um, I went in and got this job uh, as a VJ. Did that for about six months. I was off the air in six months. Um, but I was in this really killer contract with the Times of India where they'd signed me up as a talent. And they were like, if you, uh, we have you for two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you violate this contract and do any other work, you owe us a shitload of money. Which is, you know, standard. A, a lot of young right, artists uh, will sign the shitty sign contract. Sign a, a development deal, a holding deal. You know? or, yeah, where... um, and I was off the air in six months. And they were like, we're still paying you a monthly salary. So just chill at home. And I was young, but, but old enough to know that being at home for a year and a half means death. You know, career <laughs> death. So I managed to get out of the contract. Um, I took a handy cam. I was a, I was a big John Stewart fan around this time. And I shot a pilot on like my friend's dining table called The Indian Excess, which was a news comedy show. Mm -hmm. I was 26, 27 at this point. And we took it to all the news channels and CNBC picked it up. So That was News on the Loose? That was News on the Loose. So News on the Loose, I I had a a weekend show Mm -hmm. on CNBC, but I also got a primetime news slot. So the 9 p.m. bulletin is what everybody in... In India watches because it's the stock markets up and down, etc. Right. And I'd go, uh, I'm sorry, the 8 p.m. bulletin. And I'd go up at 8.58. Uh, so from 8.58 to 9 o'clock, I do two minutes of just quick comedy mm-hmm. uh, on the primetime bulletin. Um, <laughs> Before you find out how your money's doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I'll put you in a good mood. Yeah. And that kind of led to a career with corporates. Because every single corporation was watching that that bulletin. They started sure. hiring me for weekend shows. What was the comedy scene like at that time in India? It was this really... Uh, I mean, I, I mentioned the Albert Brooks movie. What was the reality of The comedy? reality of it was... I mean, it, it was nothing like that. Nothing like in yeah, the movie. It was this, it's this very posh, South Bombay, country club, 40 and above kind of a, a scene. Mm-hmm. Right? There were three or four guys doing it. Like Bam and Irani, Ash Chandler. Like actors who also dabbled in comedy. Sure. And suddenly I showed up. You just came from Los Angeles. You're aware. Of- yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just an Indian thing. Yeah, it's, it's universal. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was this kid who showed up and talked about his balls and said the F word. And suddenly I got this young fan base, you know, so mm-hmm. college kids were showing up for my shows. Um, and that kind of drove my career a little faster than most people. Okay. You know. Yeah. You mentioned the corporates. I was watching. There's a documentary about Trevor Noah. Yes. And it. 
And it, it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that the scene in South Africa was also very corporate. Very corporate. Yeah. It, there weren't comedy clubs. So you made your money by performing at corporate functions. But you know, I find, and this is a strange thing, and you, you've spoken to millions of comics, so you, we all knock a corporate show. Right. And right? we always go, oh man. Americans do. Yeah. No, Indians right. do as okay. well. Fucking, it's for the money, it's this, mm-hmm. is that, et cetera, et cetera. I think when you start out with corporates, you, if nothing else, you develop a culture of, of earning your filth. You know, because for the longest time, and I, I did this for five years until I couldn't take it anymore, right? But you'd want to sneak in some edge. Right. You'd want to sneak in some filth. You'd want to sneak in some sex. You'd want to sneak in stuff into a 45-minute routine. Right. Or but, even make fun of the company. Or even make fun <laughs> of the company, which was largely fine in a corporate routine. Mm-hmm. But that meant you had to really get them in the first 15 minutes. You had to have them. Right. You know? Um, and I feel like even when you're not doing a corporate show, that's that's a good culture to adapt. Is to really first get them. You know? Get them with some substance. Get them with some depth. Get them on your side. And then take them to an edgy place. Then take them to a filthy place. Right. So if, if nothing else, just starting out with corporates gets you thinking that way. You know? And how much did being on television not only help you book those gigs, but help you kill in those early minutes um, because they already knew you. Yeah, Indians, if they know who you are until date, you know, like if, if you come to the show, mm-hmm. you'll find that a lot of people who have come <laughs> yeah, you, to see me have seen yeah. a Bollywood movie, but have never seen me do stand-up, but they're showing up because of that. Mm-hmm. And that buys you two and a half minutes. Um, and after that, you better be funny. Uh, beyond that, it doesn't do anything. How did you balance your career in those early years between... The television spots, Bollywood and So Bollywood wasn't happening at all, you Mm -hmm. know, at this point. So it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was CNBC. Thursday, I would shoot the weekend show Mm -hmm. that would go on air on Saturday and Sunday. And Friday, Saturday, Sunday was corporates. So it was kind of strange. But like at at 26 or 27, I was earning a shitload of money, uh, but not creatively fulfilled in any way, shape or form. And finally... I decided I wanted to do movies. And there was this one movie called Rang De Basanti, which mm-hmm. kind of changed it up for me because it was the first young ensemble, cool, you know, movie. Because until then, the Hindi movies were largely hero, heroine, villain, uh, sad father. You know, <laughs> and that was... Right, basic template. Basic template, right? But this was seven young people going up against the government. And I was like, okay, shit's changing. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be roles for, for me. I'm not six foot seven with, you know, with a jawline and, and ridiculously good looking. And so I might be able to find work now. So then I quit CNBC and um, wrote my first kind of arena show. And, and did like, booked out a, a 2000 seater and, and kind of started that process. So, yeah. How many English-speaking comedians were doing that? None. No, at that moment in time, nobody had gone into a public theater to do stand-up. You know, to sell 2,000 seats, nobody had done that. Were people telling you it was too much of a risk or...? I had a really good um, theater promoter. I kind of went in the right way. This mm-hmm. guy called Ashwin Gidwani who largely did theater and just proper productions. And so he knew the market really well. Um I told him I was going to write a show called History of India, which which I ended up writing. But I was like, before that, I want to do this show called Walking on Broken Das, which was me doing three different characters and then coming out and doing 45 minutes of stand-up. So I was my own opening act, okay. so, so to speak. Um, so I was like, if you produce this and, and we do like a run, uh, then I'll give you History of India. Because he knew that that was a moneymaker and so did I. So 
walking on broken glass ended up doing like 25000 30000 tickets which at that point in time on a public theater run was unheard of um then we got history of india history of india has sold upwards of 250000 tickets over the last 5 years so you know uh, it worked out that relationship worked out really well how did, how how did that compare to the early dreams you had going to school with a the theater degree to be a, a professor of theater to <laughs> to then 10 years later being being on stage selling it comes a quarter, full circle quarter million tickets in, in a weird way it comes full circle like mm-hmm. i started a production house called weird ass comedy right and where this with this uh, we're now 17 people but it started with five people and to me the theater professor life was office full of books you know read all day write all day that kind of a vibe and that's what we ended up doing we we started out writing all the scripts for all the award shows so imagine a company that just wrote for the host of the grammys the oscars the sag awards the sports awards and the emmys as well mm-hmm. you know so that's what we did so we were writing for these huge stars but writing jokes for them then eventually we started writing television we started writing radio started writing live shows so it just became this i i had an office full of books and i was reading and writing all day and it kind of came full circle in that sense at what point did you decide to to mount a festival i know you have the weird ass pajama it was um 3 years ago mm-hmm. and i was just um, finally in india we had you know 80 or 90 comics out of which you know 20 were really really good and had 20 had a decent 45 or decent 60 80 or 90 was english speaking english speaking okay. right so i was like let's how, ma- how many hindi oh hindi the world is your oyster man like that's um that's a huge universe mm-hmm. in india like every culture has their own hybrid form of stand up comedy so in india it's poetry and comedy mm-hmm. and that's been happening for 2000 years you know the political satire really edgy intelligent stuff but through poetry okay so with hindi there's probably i don't know 500,000 comics in india you know doing it it's it's a large country right. and and at every different level and it's like in america it's probably the opposite it's the opposite there's, <laughs> yeah, there's like five tons guys. of comedians and yeah. then five <laughs> five poets yeah exactly so uh, okay so you had 80 90 yeah, so comedians I, 20 of whom were really good yeah so the pajama festival is the school thing we have three different types of venues the pajamas the boxers the briefs <laughs> so the pajamas is like a 2000 seat mm-hmm. boxers is like a 400 seat briefs are like a shitty 60 seat or or a 50 seat that's that's why that's why yeah. that's why you don't wear briefs yeah. when you're when you're grown and so we took a map of bombay mm-hmm. uh and people don't travel for performance in bombay it's neighborhood wise okay so in every we divided it into four zones mm-hmm. and in every zone we put a pajama a boxer and a brief and we ended up getting maybe oh, i don't know 4000 people year one to the festival no international artists year one year two about 25 international artists and by this point i was sensing that the domestic market material wise was starting to plateau mm-hmm. that the the 20 guys with a good 45 were still doing the same 45 <laughs> so now what do you do right. you got to start getting guys from outside and we did three cities the next year i think we did maybe 15000 people and then last year we did a 70% international lineup because again i didn't find enough domestic material but we got brits aussies americans malaysians singaporeans thai comedians just from all over and we did about 29000 people last year are those international acts of indian descent or no 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 just, no okay. this is proper guys from everywhere just anyone okay you know yeah cuz i was curious to know how the the comedians of indian descent from the united states or canada play 
in India? Uh, outside of Russell Peters, who I think just plays anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, he sells fifteen thousand tickets no matter where he goes right. uh, in the world. I don't think, uh, and maybe this is a fairly bold statement, but I think Indians would rather watch a homegrown guy mm-hmm. um, than an American Indian, you right. know, Canadian Indian. Yeah, I okay. think so. Yeah, uh, I, they, they'd rather watch Louis C.K. than if they wanted to watch an American. You know, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So then on the flip side, how has it been for you to try to translate your act outside of India? I um, I feel like there's this huge vacancy in, in the world comedy market mm-hmm. and on television for an authentic Indian perspective for stand-up comedy, right? Um, I have to preface it right when right. I go out. So the opening of my show is always, my name is Veer Das, I have an Indian accent. This is how I talk. This is the next hour and a half of your lives. This is not a bit. I'm not impersonating a hilarious relative. There's no fucking Apu from The Simpsons joke coming up. Uh, tonight, for the first time, we'll try and make the Indian accent a perspective and not a punchline. Uh, and if that's okay with you, I'll go on. You know, And that's really the beginning of my show. And I feel like once you say that to, to an American crowd or an Aussie crowd or a Brit crowd, you're instantly on the same page with them. Because they're like, oh, uh, this is how he's going to talk and I'm... That's not what's funny tonight. And I'll have to rely on him for other shit. That's funny. Because, you know, we've always been the, oh, to, 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 thank you, come on. You know, it's always right. been a bit. It's never been a perspective. No, my friend uh, Hari Kondabolu mm-hmm. is, is working on a documentary or a TV series about the Apu yeah. character specifically and about yeah. the stereotype. Yeah. Especially since he's voiced by a, a white man. And also, you know, I feel like it's been this thing that a lot of... Um, it's a fallback, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of uh, Indian comedians from America or Indian comedians from Canada or the UK is mm-hmm. uh, you do the bit. And when you want the big laugh, you go to the Indian accent and right. you do your grandmother or you do your, your father or your et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's, and, that's a, uh, a complaint level at Asian comedians as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so no, this is the whole show is your grandfather mm-hmm. <laughs> or your, your father. You know what I mean? Has it, has, has it gotten any easier as you've come back more than once to America? I I mean, funny is funny, man. You mm-hmm. know, we all laugh at the same shit at the end of the day. You know, when, when I was writing the special, uh, and, and, and I've only been coming back to, to America for a year and a half. This whole thing happened for a, a year and a half ago. So I, 18 months ago, I had a, a film that got cancelled. And it was a a film I knew was going to be shitty but was going to do well. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'd signed it for those reasons. Bollywood or? Bollywood. Bollywood okay. film. And I was like, I'm, I'm kind of happy that this thing got cancelled. <laughs> um, and I now have two months. And mm-hmm. I can either tour in India or I'm going to go to LA. And, you know, the only way to become better at tennis is to play tennis with people who are better than you are. And to me, this is the best tennis audience. This is where the best tennis is played. A la comedy. Right. So I got to go and see if I... If I hold up. So I came down to LA. That trip I got signed by CAA. Um, the next trip I got signed by Levity. And then the next trip was the Netflix special. But these were all five-day or six-day trips. So it's it's all been really fast, to yeah. be honest. And then once Netflix worked out, I was like, now send me out on tour in America and send me to places where I won't sell tickets. So I went to Charlotte. Uh, I went to 
Tempe. I went to Brea, California. I went to and playing the improvs and playing the improvs, just to kind of get in front of American folks and see what they find funny. And are they really mixed crowds who don't know who you are, or it's? I mean, it'll start out Friday, eighty percent Indian, ninety percent mm-hmm. Indian, and then on Sunday and the Saturday late, it'll end up being like fifty-fifty or sixty-forty, and that's cool and groovy to me. You know, can you can you sense the difference? And how they're responding to the material, or well, or no, at this point, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to bullshit you and, and right. say you know there's a, a marked difference between how they respond. A laugh's a laugh. Um, if I'm not getting a laugh every sort of twenty seconds, I'm disappointed. So I, I want, you know, unless it's a deeper bit, unless it's a darker bit, I, I want a laugh every right. twenty to twenty-five seconds. And Americans give me that as well. So it's it's not falling short or, or louder or any markedly different. You mentioned uh, the tennis analogy of wanting to play yes. better people to get better. Who or who or what have have you kind of leaned on for advice and inspiration in in taking your career to this next stage? Well, I um, what I tried to do was a either open for or do the first half of every single international comic that came down to India. So I did that for a while. Mm-hmm. I opened for Russell Brand, a couple of other people that came down just to see. You know, so like Russell Brand came down, we did a three-city tour. Um, he did the second half, so he did about an hour ten, but mm-hmm. I did an hour up top on the first half. You know, and there was an interval in between. So I was doing stuff like that. I ended up just sponging a lot of comedy as well. Um, and then the clubs really helped. The Fringe Festival really helped as well. Were you able to uh, to learn anything from the Russell Brands and the other international yeah, headliners? Yeah, uh, I mean, with Russell Brand, he'll go like a minute, a minute and a half without a laugh sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then it'll be a bang, just sort of big payoff laugh. And um, there's a comfort in that, that I think you learn. You know, when you grow up um, or grow into this doing mostly corporates, and I went literally TV, corporates, large mm-hmm. arenas. So I panic when there's a lot of silence and, and I'm learning to be comfortable in that silence as well. So that's something that you can definitely learn from guys like that. Uh, when's the last time you've been back to Knox? I have not been back to Knox since I graduated. Oh. So I'm, the big dream is to go there and, and hopefully, you know, teach a semester someday. Like do a stand-up comedy course. What, what would be the first thing you would tell your students? If... Sleep with the right people. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> that's really been my. I mean, this is all bullshit. That's been my career philosophy as well. Just sleep with the right people. There's a reason we have 1.2 billion people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because we're all doing that. Wow. So yeah, I I uh, better start taking your advice then. You must. You must. Fear. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Cheers. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.